week we continue our Explain series that we've been going through over the past few weeks. Uh, it's been a little while since we started this, uh, but before we begin, I just want to lay a little bit of ground, groundwork about what, we, what this series does. So every week we try to address one question, and I try to be as brief as possible when addressing it because it can get uh, pretty, pretty wide-ranging. So I try to be very narrow in how I answer that. And every week we follow the same general format. You're gonna, I'm going to read the question. I'm going to explain why it's important that we answer the question. Then I'm going to answer it, and then we're going to take some action steps, okay? So question, why it's important, answer it, and what can we do with it, all right? Pretty laid it out. Everybody on the same page with me? We've been doing this enough. Hopefully everybody's with me, all right? I still like to just keep going. I have to over-communicate, all right? So we're going to do that. So this morning, our question is, I think I have a slide for it, actually, this morning, a little proactive question. Should we share the gospel with Catholics? And if so, how? Now, before we address that question, I do want to lay this out, that all these questions are given to me by others in either amongst the church or from outside of the church. Maybe you've got a question and you don't know the answer to. Ask me after the service. Or you've had a question asked to you and you don't know the answer to it. Ask me after the service, all right? And we'll talk about it. <clears throat> and maybe it'll wind up here on Sunday morning one time, all right? So, this morning, I was given this question a few weeks ago, and I haven't addressed it re uh, really soon because there was a lot of research to do. Um, <clears throat> it's been a while since I had a world religions course, and so I had to brush up uh, on my uh, Catholicism. So I did, and so here we are. So the question is, should we share the gospel with Catholics, and if so, how? So why is this important? Why should we answer this question this morning? There are roughly 77 million people in America. This, some of these stats are a little old, but they should roughly hold true. Roughly 77 million people in America that profess to be Catholic. That's a lot, all right, 77 million. 27 million of those are considered lapsed, all right? They don't attend a regular service. They don't participate in, in, in any, any daily activities. They go to Christmas and they go to Easter and that's it. They're, they're lapsed Catholics, right? There are also nearly 15 million former Catholics, people who've left the church and are attending churches elsewhere, evangelical churches like this one, right? A lot of, there's a lot of the 15 million people, that's a lot. Uh, and two-thirds of those are attending evangelical churches like ours every single Sunday, or most Sundays, all right? And so uh, that's some big numbers. That's some very big numbers. And we need to understand why those are important. They teach us an important lesson, don't they? They should. Because what it says to me when I looked over those numbers, it says that faith isn't just a leap into something imaginary. That's what, that's what people outside faith think it is. They think, oh, you just believe in imaginary something, right? That something exists, and you just have to kind of hope that you're right, right? That's what they believe faith is. But it's not just a leap into something imaginary, nor is it a religious system you're born into. It shouldn't be anyway. It should be a critical examination of the facts in order to arrive at the truth. That's what faith should be. Sometimes it's not, but that's what it should be. Faith shouldn't be the absence of thought, but it should be the result of thought in order to arrive at the truth. That's what faith should be. Now, this means that we must know what we believe and why we believe it, okay? So, doing so, when we understand what we believe and why we believe, lets us know that we know what we know, that we know is right. We can go to the Bible and say, I know I'm good because this is what the Bible says, not just what I've been taught or not just what I think is right. I know because I've read it and understand it and have had uh, help understanding it as I've worked towards understanding who God is. And that helps us to distinguish between things that sound the same as what we believe but really aren't. That's especially true in something like Catholicism because we have here a religious system that sounds a lot like Christian, 
a lot like evangelical Christian. And we have to distinguish between the two, because if you don't, then you might as well be a Catholic. And you're not Catholic because you're not there this morning, so I need you to understand why you're not, right? And why it's important that we, as I answer this question, should we spread the good news or share the gospel with Catholics? So, answering the question, should we do that? Yes. All right, now everybody go home. We good? No, all right. All right, all right well, I, was, I hope I was going to get the rest of the day off. All right, well, never mind. I'll go ahead. I'll explain a little better. <laughs> I get Mondays. Thank you. I can have an extra day off. That's good. All right. Yes, we should. And to better understand why we should, I, did, I wanted to kind of lay out what are some things that we agree with with Catholicism and what are some things that we have some concerns with, what kind of uh, that we can agree on and what separates us. And so I wanted to start out with a couple of things we can agree on. And so I think I have a slide for that. And basically it's two things, right? Who God is and who Jesus is. Catholics affirm that God is a trinity, three in one in his nature, that God has uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they teach that he is a good, loving, truthful God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's the creator of all things. That's all great stuff. No problems there. They also affirm that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully man, fully human. All great stuff. They believe he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a Roman cross, was buried, was resurrected from the dead, returned to the heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. All that, A-okay with. Perfect. That's great stuff. I have no problem with any of that, right? But there are some areas of concern. And so I wanted to list those out so that we understand where we're at and where they're at. And so let's go to that slide, Jaden. Some five areas of concern that I have this morning, and I've narrowed this down. There's many more. I narrowed it, shrunk it down to five. Here's five for us this morning. Authority, Mary, baptism, communion, which they call the Eucharist, and salvation. I'm going to breeze, and I mean breeze through the first four because we don't have a whole day for me to lay out Catholicism, but I'm going to briefly lay out these first four, and then I'm going to really settle in on, on point five here as we determine what the differences are. So what's some concerns with authority? Catholics accept that they are actually three sources of authority in a believer's life. There's the Bible, there's tradition, which is the church history and the things they've passed down year after year, and there's the teaching ministry of the church. So the priests and the pope and all those, uh, their teachings are as authoritative as the Bible and as tradition is. All three of those things work together, and without one, you don't have anything. All right, It's like a three-legged stool. If you're not one out, the whole thing falls apart for Catholics. We believe, as evangelicals, that the Bible is the only source of authority in matters of faith and practice. That you don't have to have the Pope, you don't have to have bishops, you don't have to have tradition, that we have the only source of authority that we need in our lives, and it comes straight from the Word of God. Two, Mary. Catholics believe that Mary was totally preserved from the stain. This is, a, this is again, let me, sorry, let me clarify before I talk. You're going to see here some words here that come straight from a Catholic catechism, and if you don't understand them, Come find me after the service, all right, because I, I don't have time to explain them all. So this is straight from the Catholic Catechism. They believe that she was totally preserved from the stain of original sin, and she remained pure from all personal sin throughout her life. They view her as a co-mediator of God's grace and as a collaborator with the salvation of Jesus, her son. Okay. Mary, I've got to get it brief. <laughs> Mary should be honored as a godly woman, because she was. She was faithful to God. But the Bible never indicates, again, going back to our only source of authority, the Bible never indicates that Mary was conceived without sin herself. 
She conceived Jesus without sin, but not herself. She was not without sin. And the offering and the adoration and prayers to Mary and to any other saint are unnecessary and not in the Bible. That's just a fact. All right? So that's another area of concern. Three, baptism. Catholics teach that baptism is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed. They say that by baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as punishment for sin. We believe there is no sound biblical evidence that says that baptism provides any sort of salvation act. All right? You don't have to be baptized to be saved. If you die uh, tomorrow and, and this afternoon you were to accept Christ and I didn't have time to baptize you, you're still going to go to heaven. All right? And nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to be baptized. It says believe and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. That's it. And so we don't believe that baptism saves. They do, which is why every baby has to get baptized because it's sprinkled as soon as they possibly can because if you don't, they're not going to go to heaven. We don't believe that. Okay. Four, communion. Catholics believe the miracle of, and this is a big one, transubstantiation. Now, if you, don't, if you haven't gone to a theology course and you don't want to, I understand, because that's a big word that has a lot, of, a lot of meaning to it. Basically, they mean that they believe when you take the bread and you take the wine or bread and juice or however you would consume that, for them it would be bread and wine, when you actually take the elements that they turn into Jesus as you eat them. All right? That you're literally taking Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. Now, if you ever heard Catholic, if you told a Catholic that, they'd probably say, huh? But that is what the Catholic Church teaches. They, if they haven't looked at it, they don't understand what transubstantiation means. They believe in literally eating the body and the blood of Christ when you take communion, or in their case, the Eucharist. All right? <clears throat> Our response to that is that communion, or the Lord's Supper, was established by Jesus as an act of symbolism. All right? It was, it was not something that has to happen to you receive Christ. It's a symbol that he gave to remember his death and that his death gives us life. All right? He gave his body once and for all, and he doesn't have to give it again. And he's not giving it every time you take bread and wine or bread and juice or whatever we take, right? It's not necessary. So that's our response to that. Now, the fifth one I'm going to settle on a little bit because it's a big one. Salvation. For a Catholic and for Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, there are seven sacraments. We've covered a couple of them already. Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, anointing of the sick, holy orders, matrimony. And you have to have all of these or participate in all of these regularly for salvation. You're not saved without these things. You're saved because of these things. All right? Now, in order for a person to be saved, they have to accept Jesus, which they believe in Jesus is the sole source of salvation, but it has to be Jesus and baptism, Jesus and communion, Jesus and uh, performing or, or purchasing meritorious works. There's several things that go on top of Jesus, Jesus and. And anytime you run into anything, any kind of occult or religion that says Jesus and, you need to stop. And you need to look and say, why is there anything other than Jesus needed? Because there's a lot of other, a whole bunch of other religions and of other cults out there that will tell you that as Jesus was good and Jesus was great, but you need something else on top of it. We do not affirm that. We believe that while we agree with Catholics in the primacy and the necessity of grace, we believe the Bible clearly says that salvation is by grace alone, apart from any good works. It's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's it. 
And the way we get that, one of the many verses we get that from is Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, which I think I have a slide for it, where, uh, keep going, there we go. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, here's a subtle difference. A Catholic would say, of course we are. God gave us the gift, but we have to continue in those good works or we're not saved. Ephesians says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That in him we are given the desire and motivation and ability to perform good works, and without his grace upon us, we can never accomplish those things. We need him first. I'm going to go into a little of that a little bit more. This, essentially, is the gospel. It is a gift of God through faith, not of our own doing. This is what the gospel is. Before we accept and follow Christ, we're dead in our sins. All right, let me clearly lay out what we believe and we profess and what I say every week the gospel is because I think it's super important, not only for anybody who may not be saved this morning, but for anybody who may be a little bit confused and know how to walk somebody to salvation. Before we accept and follow Christ, we are dead in our sins. We're dead. We're like The Walking Dead. Ever seen that TV show, The Walking Dead? It's kind of winding down now. Walking Dead was pretty popular at one time, right? The zombies are kind of walking around. and there's a, They're alive, but not really alive, right? We are dead in our trespasses. We are living, but not fully alive because we are dead in our sins. It has separated us from God. We are living in a hell on earth. And whenever we die, which death comes to all of us, whenever we die, we are doomed to an eternity in hell, separated from God forever. That's the simple facts. None of us can do enough good things. None of us can, can have enough willpower. None of us can be good enough. I've heard so many people say, I'm a good person. As good as you may be, you're not good enough to enter heaven. You can't be. Nobody's that good. We're like toddlers, as I was thinking through this. I thought it was a pretty good analogy. We're like toddlers who are trying to get a cookie jar that's out of reach. You ever seen a kid who knows the cookie jar is there, right? Or she, she knows it's there. You can see it on top of the refrigerator. She's, she's maybe gotten a taste of a cookie before. She kind of understands that something's there, and he or she really wants to grab that cookie jar. But there's no way, even no amount of climbing, nothing, there's no possible way that they can get to that cookie jar. It's too far out of reach. They'll keep trying. They think if they're good enough, if they say please enough, if they beg enough, if they, they look cute enough, <laughs> maybe they'll get there, right? Somebody will pick them up, maybe, and they'll get there. But on their own, they are not going to get there. No amount of effort will get them to the cookie jar. No amount of effort will get us to heaven. None. In Christ alone. We're going to sing that song when we're done. I love that song. In Christ alone is our hope. The word says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, who is Jesus, fully God, fully man, to come and live and die a perfect, sinless life, the life that we never could live or never will live, and die the death that we deserve so that we can be saved. And he rose three days later, after he was in the grave, he got up three days later, proving that death and hell and the grave are defeated and they are no longer needing to be feared that the enemy has been conquered. And so that we who believe in him are brought back into relationship with God, who have been separated by death, separated by sin, have been renewed, restored, and born again, Jesus says, into heaven. 
into an eternal life, into a life that is different now and into an eternity that will be radically different and better after. And it's not a religion. It's not a sacrament you have to take. It's a relationship that we engage in when we turn away from ourselves and turn to the only one who can save us. That is the good news, that we who can never make it on our own have been picked up like the Tommy, right? And lifted up to that cookie jar. Not our own work, but for what Christ has done for us. It is His work that it makes us free, as we've talked about earlier this morning. Now, <clears throat> we all have to make a decision. I will agree with that. Jesus has done the work, but He asks us to turn to Him. He's never going to force us into heaven because that would be <clears throat> against our free will. He gives us the choice to be able to choose him freely, to be able to make a decision to say, I'm going to turn from what I've been doing, and I'm going to turn to you. And yes, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to fall down. I'm going to still get dirty a little bit, but I'm going to continually strive to get closer and closer to you because you love me first. It's entering into a new relationship that brings us closer to God, that brings us to him. Now, many Catholics know about Christ. Many profess Jesus, and that's all great and wonderful, but a lot of him, a lot of them don't know him personally. They don't. They don't have a personal relationship with him. Therefore, they're trying to work his way into grace, work their way into his grace. It's much like the religious elite of Jesus' day, which he called out over and over and over again. He said, you try to do all these things to satisfy God, but your heart isn't in it. That's the bulk of what he said to the Pharisees and Sadducees. You do it for the wrong reasons over and over and over again. You try, and it looks good, and everybody around you thinks it's good enough, and you can do all these good works, and it looks like, oh, man, these people have it all together, but you're missing the point. Many Roman Catholics today are missing the point. You don't need all the other stuff. You have the only thing there is. Now, despite that fact, I can see the appeal. I'm not, I'm not ignorant of, of this. Systems, rituals, routines, they can be comforting things, right? You have a routine when you get up in the morning? Yeah, you generally get up and you, you get dressed, maybe, and you go down and get a cup of coffee or whatever you do. you got a set schedule, right, that you do every day. And for some people, a routine is so critical to their lives. If their routine gets thrown off, their whole day is ruined, right? You ever met that person? There's type A, got to do it, check the boxes off. If I don't get this one done, then I have to go back and do it before I can move forward, right? Yeah, I can be like that sometimes in some things. R routines are good. They help us. They find normalcy in our lives by having something constant, something we can rely on, right? And so we like those things. But a problem arises whenever routines, whenever rituals, whenever religion takes the place of a relationship because that's what can easily happen now to better understand this i need somebody some very brave soul to answer me a question this morning so go ahead and prepare who's going to be brave this morning all right <clears throat> here's the question i'll let you, one of you choose who you're going to who you're going to pick to to answer this how often do you take your spouse or a loved one or a good friend out for dinner yeah, I figured. <laughs> now, I know we're in Poundall, <clears throat> and I know that there's not a lot of places to take anybody. Uh, so I did want to put that caveat out there, but you can drive places. So how often do you take your spouse, loved one, good friend out for dinner? 
who's brave enough to answer it? Go ahead, Chad. Wow. <laughs> Herb says this twice. They went the other day. That's good. <clears throat> That's right. Keep the tally going. That's very important. <laughs> All right? Especially for a husband, and that's going off a little tangent. I won't go too far down this road, but especially you got you to make sure you got those accounted for. So whenever the question comes up, you can say, yeah, we went. Don't you remember? That was like a year ago, right? Don't you remember that? Hey, that's going out. <laughs> All right. So, very <clears throat> thank you for, that was, you stepped out, Chad. I appreciate that. <clears throat> that's right. Good job. <laughs> And if that's good enough for you and Deidre, that's perfectly fine with me. <laughs> uh, so the, the answer to that question is, the next follow-up to that is, why do you go? And you can answer it, or y'all can, anybody can answer that. Why do you go out to eat? Birthday. You go out for a birthday to, to celebration. All right. Nice to break the routine. Okay. That's good. So you don't have to do the dishes. That's, yes. All right. <laughs> That's good. Now, when you go out, as I'm sure we all, I, I hope everybody's been out at least once. If you hadn't, make time to go. All right. When you go out, do you get closer? Does that make your relationship closer necessarily? Like every time you went out, do you automatically a step closer or more intimate with each other after, you've, after you come back home? No. No. Sometimes it can make it worse, right? Sometimes. Maybe you picked the wrong place. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. <laughs> you never know. And so, eh, right? The, the point is, and why I ask those questions is, if we have to buy things, if we have to take our loved ones out to something special a lot, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but if we have to do that, and we do it with the expectancy that if we do those things, we're going to get some good marks for us, right? We're going to look good for the next few months to cover us in case any mistakes come up, right? <laughs> right? If we do those things because we just want to be a little bit closer, and we think, well, if I, if I take her out, if I take him out, or if we go out together, if I dress up and put some nice perfume on and do my hair up and uh, whatever I do, put a hat on, and uh, if we do all these nice things and make ourselves look good, then I'm gonna, it's going to help me in this relationship, right? You might do that with family. If you have kids, you might say, well, if I buy them a toy now, that's what we're going to get to. That's right. That's good. You, you shouldn't have to do that. But a lot of times we do, don't we? We try to buy f- sometimes, Herb. <laughs> Work with me, Herb. Sometimes. <laughs> you don't. But some people do, right? Sometimes we try to buy favor, right? Sometimes we try to earn our way into good graces with our loved ones, with our friends and our family but you shouldn't have to, right, Yvonne? Right, Herb? You shouldn't have to. But the difference between, between that attitude and that, and that intent is who you're with, isn't it? Herb and Robin have, are comfortable with each other in, in a good way, right? Not, not bad. We just lounge around in our pajamas all day, but comfortable with each other way, right? right yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's something. You, that's a, a relationship goal you got in your life. I don't know. Maybe it is. But anyway, 
you get comfortable. And when, you're, when you know you're in a safe, secure relationship, those things aren't as important because you know that they're not going to get you any closer, right? They're not going to earn you any more favor. The ritual, the routine, the celebrations, all those special things that we do, we don't have to do them. But we do them because we want to be a part of their lives. We've, we've already have the love from them in our lives, and we want to celebrate that love together, right? We want to say, oh, man, I'm, I'm so happy you're here. Let's come and have a party together. Let's come hang out together that one time a year or two times a year, whatever we do. Let's do something different, not because we have to, not because I want you to like me better tomorrow than you did today, but because I love you and you love me. It's, you go out the same way but for two different reasons. But the why you do things is just as important, if not more important, than what you're doing, isn't it? It should be. We don't have to buy things. We don't have to do good things. We don't have to do anything at all to earn our way into God's favor. God doesn't love you more because you spend extra time with him. I don't want to burst your bubble. If you, if you think, oh, I've got to spend extra time with God today, I've been neglect, neglecting him a while. You don't have to spend extra time with him for him to love you more. Instead, you should want to spend extra time with him because he loves you. All right? Subtle difference, but big, huge, huge difference. Instead of spending extra time with him because you love or because you think you need to earn your way in, you spend it because he loved you first. He was loyal when you were faithless. He remembered you even when you wanted to forget him. He draws us to him, constantly calling out, constantly patiently waiting, saying, come back, come on back. You made mistakes. I got that. And we're going to work through the process. He doesn't just say, oh, well, you're good. I'm just going to forget that. Work through that. It's a relationship. But he's not going to throw you out because you messed up once or twice. He loves you. He's waiting for you to come back and work on that relationship again and again and again drawing you back to him. It is that love that should drive us to do good works. Created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand, drawing us to do good things to please him. We are pleased to do good works for him, but we shouldn't need to do good works to please him. Again, very fine line, big difference. The difference often marks, really, if you look back in your own relationships in your life, if you feel like you have to earn your way in or that you feel comfortable enough that you don't have to earn your way in, you know you're loved, the difference between why you do things is the difference between a healthy, loving relationship and an abusive relationship. If you have to earn your way into your, your favor of, of your, your friend, your spouse, or whoever it is, your loved one, if you have to do stuff for them to make them love you, that's not healthy. For you or them. Something's wrong. And that's not the relationship that we have with God, or it shouldn't be. He loved us first, and he wants us and draws us to do good things for him and obey him and be faithful to him. Now, despite all those concerns we have and I have listed out today, particularly when it comes to salvation, because that's a big one, despite those concerns listed, I think there are some genuine believers who have attended Roman Catholic churches, all right? I think there, there are some legit, have a relationship with Jesus people in Catholic churches, even today. They've genuinely placed their faith in Jesus alone for salvation. However, I think that they are believers because of their faith and not because 
of the church. They're believers just despite what the church teaches. All right? That can happen. That can happen in any religion. You find religions all over the world where people come to know Christ despite their upbringing, despite their religion system, despite whatever it is that they can have a relationship because I don't know how, because God's God and He does what He does. But they can do that despite what is taught. Now, obviously, every person in each situation, especially when dealing with conversions, is unique. And, and since there are some who are genuine believers, I can't say that every single solitary Catholic has to hear the gospel because some may be genuine believers. But in general, because of the differences we listed this morning, the concerns I lift, listed out this morning, in general, yes, we do need to spread the good news, to share the good news, to tell the good news with our Catholic friends, neighbors, family, whoever it is. We have an obligation to. They need to have it shared with them as much as anyone else does. So it takes us to the second point of our, or second half of our question, but it'll be much shorter, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. How do we share it? How do we share it? First, with love and gentleness, okay? I list the con- these concerns, and if any of you have been, or, or have been in a Catholic church or have family that are Catholic, I don't list these to demean Catholicism. I list these to, to, to create a start line of demarcation so you understand where we stand and where Catholicism stands so you can be able to better understand why you believe what you believe and understand why they need to hear the gospel. So whenever we present the gospel with them, we need to first come with love and gentleness and not come in and say, you know all that stuff you were taught? <laughs> you got that all wrong. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you the truth. That's not going to help anybody, is it? No. No. If somebody come up to you and says, you talk funny, and I get that a lot, and Sharon gets that a lot. Yes, you do. That's right. We, we do. Because we were blessed to be born in the South, and that's how that worked out. So whatever. <laughs> At any rate, if somebody comes up and tells you you talk funny, and says, you don't, you're, not talk, you're not saying things right. You need to talk this way. That's not going to go over very well. All right? My first reaction is not going to be, you're right. I need to stop saying ain't. And y'all, I, that, that's, that, that's not going to be my first reaction, right? When it comes to religion, even more so. Because it is a religion. It is a system. It is a set of beliefs that are ingrained in us. And so whenever we get that, we, it's, it's not an easy out. It's a process that has to be worked through. And so we need to approach it with love and gentleness. No one ever wants to hear what they have been taught or how they have grown up or what they know is wrong. And if you try to go out and share the gospel by winning an argument, you're probably not going to be very successful. You're not, because it's not a logical decision all the time. It, it comes to logic, and I hope it does, and we should approach it logically, because it is a faith of thinking, not a faith of just leaping out. But it is not just the head, it's the heart. Now, the other thing we have to be careful of is you say, well, if we're not supposed to argue our way into conversions, then I'll just, I won't argue with them. I'll be a good example to them. I'll live the way Jesus has called me to live. I'll live radically different as we talk about every week. I'll, I'll be a part of a church, a body of Christ. I'll, I'll transform, I'll, I'll repent and I'll come to Jesus when I make mistakes and I'll, I'll confess to him directly and I'll be part of a body that works through things together. I'll do those things that are radically different than anybody else. I'll love when everybody, nobody else loves, and I'll think that's going to set me apart. Yes and no. You can go to, to an extreme of that, where that's all you do, and you don't try to convince anybody. But living differently isn't enough. 
not on its own. There are lots of religions, there are lots of cults that command followers to love and do good things. And there are some that I would argue that do a much better job than Christians. I've seen so many people who have attended a Mormon church because, well, they love me. They come over and help me mow my lawn. They'll do anything for me. They're there 100%, 24-7, no matter what I need, they're there. And it doesn't matter what the thought process, the belief system says. It's because they're there for them that they go to the church. It's a heart decision, not always a head decision. Right? Living differently isn't enough. If actions were enough, Jesus would have been born mute. Right? He taught over and over and over and over again. He didn't stop teaching. From the time he, he was, <laughs> well, after when he could finally talk, but when he was in the temple as a young child, all the way to on the cross, he was constantly teaching, constantly sharing what the kingdom of God was actually like, how to live and follow after God, to be in a good relationship with him, to be in a right relationship with him. He was always teaching. He did great things. He did miraculous things, things that, that, that people never believed at the time that it was happening. He cast out demons and healed sick people and made people who were lame rise again and people who were dead come back from the grave, all those great things. But he told why he did it. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Big, 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 big difference. Being able to explain the why behind our actions, that's what sets us apart. That's what sets us apart. 1 Peter 3, 5, or 15 and 16. I think I have a slide for that one, so you can read along with me or look at it with me. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Be prepared to explain what you believe and why you believe it. How do you do that? Go to the Word. Study the Bible. Get into it. Dive into it. It's not enough to merely have one in your house. Break it open every day. Now you're not going to always understand what's in there. You're gonna, one day you're going to open up to Leviticus like we talked about last week, or you're going to open up to, to uh, anything, Isaiah. You're going to open up some places in the Bible, and you're going to be like, what in the world is this even talking about? And it's going to be hard, and you're going to have to work through that. But to understand truly what we believe, you have to get there. Because if you just take my word for it, you might be easily led astray. Now, I do my best to honor the Scripture and come straight from the Word and not put my own wisdom in anything because I don't have any. But if you just go by what I say, I can mess up. I'm not perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll mess things up. Ask my wife. All right, things will happen, all right? As best as I try, I'm probably going to mess up every now and again. But if you're in the Word, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought this, I've read this somewhere. Can't we understand why you said that? That's where our authority is. Study the Bible. Take notes on Sunday. Ask questions to each other. Say, wait a minute, he was talking about this, but I, I read this. What do you think? Discuss it with each other, all right? Think critically. What I love, I saw about faith is not an absence of thought, but because of thought, that you're taking time to think through what you believe and why you believe it. Know why you're different than your friends, than your family. Don't just accept what you've been taught. Dig deeper into what you've been taught and criticize it. Look down into it and dig deep so that you can understand why you believe what you believe and be eager to share it 
despite what people say or think. Whenever you live differently, people are going to ask, why are you living differently? You live differently long enough, and you're, you're, you're active and out in the community, and you're loving and serving, and you're with your friends and family, and you really are different. Someday, somebody's going to say, I don't understand you. Why do you always forgive people whenever they are just constantly dumping on you? Why are you always loving them whenever they just trash you all the time? Why do you help people when they they're hate your guts? Why do you do these things? And you can, should be able to, if you're following 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, say, because Jesus loved me first. And because he loves me and I have a relationship with him, I have the power and the willpower and the strength and the energy to be able to love you even though you don't love me back. Know why you do what you do and know where to go to find the answer. Be eager to share it, but be prepared for what happens when you do. So that when you are slandered, <laughs> right? When people make fun of you for what you believe, when people ignore you because they think you're a loon, right? When people say you're crazy for going to church, that's worthless waste of your time. You could sleep in on Sunday. Whenever you say, why are you giving your money away there when you could put your money towards something else? You get a bottle new car by now. Why are you doing these things? Whenever you get slandered, and we're, we're living in a good part. It could be 2,000 years ago. We could be on a stake right now. We could be burned alive. Even just 1,000 years ago, we could be drowned for believing what we're talking about this morning. Be prepared even so to share why you believe what you believe and why you live different. Because their soul is worth more than your ego. Now, I want you to wrestle with this question this week. I want you to wrestle with it. I don't want you just to take my word for it. I want you to wrestle with this. What do I believe? And why do I believe it? What does the coffee maker? It's okay. I don't think anything's going to launch out of the welcome center. <laughs> All right. The coffee maker is going to make it to Jesus before we do. All right, here we go. Now, what do we believe and why do we believe it? Take that question to the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, get one from the Welcome Center. we got about 50. Take one. All right? If you have one at home and you still, I'm, I can't really understand that one. Maybe it's got different words that I don't get. Look through what we have here. Flip through a few pages. Maybe you understand those better. They're all good. Grab one. Download a Bible app on your phone if you have the uh, uh, internet or phone be able to capable to handle that. I have both. I got the, the one here and I got the one on my phone. So I can prepare wherever I go. Eventually my phone dies, I can break out my Bible and vice versa. Make it as easy and convenient as possible to read. Alright? As easy and convenient as possible. It is God's letter to His people. And if you're ready to hear and speak into your life, you need to open up these pages. Now, I challenge you not only to wrestle with that question, but I challenge you to find at least one verse. And if you want to do the, the, the teacher cheat and you want to use one of the verses I used today, this, I guess you could do it. But I challenge you to find another verse that supports what you believe and why you believe it. And I want you to talk about it with your friends and family this week. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't do. This is something I'm guilty of in my own house sometimes. And I go throughout my day living differently and never explain why I live differently and so, to, my, to my own children. And so I want you to find one verse, and I want you to tell your, your 
kids. I want you to tell your, your spouse, your loved one, whoever's in the house with you. Say, I found this verse today. Let me explain to you what it, what it means to me and why I live differently because of it. And they might look at you like you're crazy, right? They might say, what are you talking about? <laughs> Would you please hush? I don't want to listen to this right now. But it'll only take a minute or two, right? And then you can go about your day. But find out what you believe and why you believe it. Doing that, amongst many other things, but doing just that one simple thing will help us get one step closer to be able to give the answer that we need to give when we're asked why we're different, what sets us apart, how should we share and should we share. Let's pray this morning.